I think that finding simple biblical truths and trying to apply them in my life. We've heard a lot of pretty generalized exhortations this week, many of which have been quite moving, but you're probably not going to get that from me today. Uh, instead, I want to share what God has been showing me about dealing with the brokenness in my own heart over the past couple months, which means free George Floyd. I found that when I speak out of my weakness, I can check my motives a little bit better, and I never seem to run out of this material. In this instance, I sincerely believe that the work God has been doing in my broken heart is something that maybe we may be able to relate to in this time of our nation's history. There's also something concrete for us to consider and act upon when the breadth and the depth of the bigotry in our own country is so overwhelming, and we do not have a clue as to what I can do to help. This is just the first step, and God only knows where He may take us from here. The gospel is the only answer to where we currently stand. The love of Jesus and the equality of all men and women before God provide us with the power, the model, and the hope for a better future. We are all sinners, every one of us. In Christ, God has accepted us, forgiven us, cleansed us, chosen us, saved us, changed us, loved us, and adopted us. Reconciliation is our Father's specialty, and it's just fact and painful as we move forward. Everything I will be sharing this morning is built upon this foundation and the power of the Holy Spirit to work through individuals as we put these sinners to change and make a difference. Reliance on our own strength leads us to brokenness. Reliance on God's love and power will lead us to victory, which, as Jeremy said earlier, is our guarantee. Let me open up with some prayer. Father, thank you for this time, this morning, where we can, we can, we can gather as this church. It doesn't matter that it's remote, we're gathering as the church. We pray for your wisdom, for your guidance, and for your love, and your patience. We can share it for you in all that we can and we do, and we give you the glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I often learn from countries of events. Uh, by this I mean where two or three events teaching the same topic occur within a short period of time. When this happens, I've given up thinking, you know, what a coincidence, and simply to what are you trying to teach me, Lord? 
This happened during the Salzman fight. I struggle with comparing myself to others. I'm going to call this the same comparison. And three events occurred during this time that really challenged me in this area. I heard a pastor define comparison once as comparison is determining where I am based on where everyone else is. No matter where we are in life, the moment we take our eyes off Jesus, I believe we start looking around, comparing and thinking things like, why don't I have as much as they have? Why don't I have the opportunities they have? I can do it better than you can. I wish that I had the talent they have. I wish I got noticed and praised as often as they do. I wish I had the looks they have, or for me at the time in my life, the hair that they have. Um, I wish I had the family they have. If only I could speak, work, cook, travel, tend to do, be like so and so, then I would be happy. At least I'm not like so and so. And so the list that we never hear goes on and on. We do this compulsively. Let me give you an example. Since I learned a few days ago that I would be sharing today, the battle in my mind has gone something like this. How did you get yourself in such a mess? This has been an important week, an historical week. Everyone will be disappointed you are preaching about Pastor Jerry. Are you sure everyone struggles with comparison and not just me? I wonder what Pastor, Pastor Jerry would talk about. Why am I up here? Bob and Stephen and David and Sandra and Rachel and Hannah and a number of others who speak way better than I can. Who do you think you are? How many people are going to tell me my message is good? You don't even have a spyglass to use the stuff. You know, what church, what church should I get? All these crazy things. Comparison just seems to happen. I'm just sitting somewhere chilling. Is it okay for a 62 year old to say chilling? Um, and I see someone or hear a story or see a Facebook post or make a mistake and do in my mind to shoot off somewhere. It may last a second or perhaps longer. It may only last a second, but perhaps a bit longer. And even though it is just internal, it always leads me to a darker place. That is because comparison always forces us to see the world through the lens of better than or worse than. And while it starts internally, it has a way of affecting how we act and how we feel and how we treat others. It is dangerous in the past, but it is so subtle. Does it affect every area of my life and every interaction I have with others? Of course not. But it is a sin that artificially elevates us at the expense of others and plunges us into self-doubt at our own expense. The truth is neither of these assessments are accurate. Comparison is the antithesis of Romans 12.3, which states, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. The verse says nothing about comparing ourselves to others. One quick caveat. I'm not talking about godly comparison. Comparison is not uh, inherently sinful. It is just that it is so often something that becomes a source of pride, jealousy, and self-pity. Hebrews uh, 6.12 encourages us to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. To some degree, imitation requires comparison. Christ-like imitation is good. But what I'm talking about today has nothing to do with Christ-like imitation. So back to my text for results. 
I will go through these pictures, but I want to camp out in the last one for just a little bit. This incident occurred when I was talking to a dear friend over Zoom, of course, and the Lord gave me the courage to raise the issue of comparison and jealousy in my life. I don't think I articulated it very well. I am not trying to share this trouble, but he got the blame. As I expected, he was very calm. He also pointed me to John 3, 26 teaches, where John the Baptist testified about Jesus. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, with you is baptizing everyone who came to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given him from heaven. He yourself and testified that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. John's response. He must become greater, I must become less. Struck me. Yes, John is talking about Jesus, but I realize how often I struggle with wanting Jesus' kingdom to increase, provided that I was a key piece of the place. If others are used in a bigger way or a different way, then I just fell. No, I fell my purposes. But after the week that we've had, I figured in each of you, I always want to have you to be honest with you and be honest with myself. But my point is that John's distinct statement, he must become greater, I must become less. Help me by bringing the darkness of my sin out of the open abyss and by offering unambiguous direction to me. He must become greater, I must become less. The king might paraphrase, get out of the way, man, it's his kingdom. Sometimes we are so used to our sins that the first step is to begin seeing the sin for the evil people really are. That would be that number one. But then number two was simply one of those times that God brought undeniable clarity to my mind. We have a wonderful family. Over the years, however, there have been challenges with one branch. It resulted in broken relationships and separation for long periods. There is no fault to be assigned, it just happens. Over the last number of years, however, through God's grace, the relationship has been restored. I will answer the prayer. So during the shelter in place, one of the folks from the other branch of the family came up with a really good idea. He asked for everyone's full name, first place, and then verse 3, so we can all have the information for the whole family. And we're now about uh, 45. It was a great idea. I really mean it. But then I started thinking about what right he had to suggest this idea when they had been separated from us for so long. I had no basis to feel this way and to be comparing our past that I was. In the Lord allowed me to see that I was acting just like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The older brother in this Christian could not celebrate the return of his younger brother and started to touch his father and compare what the father was doing for the younger son who had left versus what the father had done for the older brother who had stayed home. I was judging the turn and holding on to the past and not letting my family change just like the older brother. This realization really took me and added dramatically to my growing realization of the darkness emanating from this sin of comparison in my life. 
So I felt that this moment is perfectly summed up in a quote by Chantel Crane. We are fed by comparison. We compare our bodies, our jobs, our families, our skills, our sex, our intellect, and an ever-increasing desire for complete satisfaction. We want to be attractive, successful, and happy. So we measure ourselves against the people around us. But instead of resulting in contentment, a comparison delivers compulsive jealousy, pride, and shame. We envy those who are better than us, and we look down on those who are worse than us. And once we've started comparing ourselves, we slide into a bitterly inflicted cycle. The more we compare ourselves, the more we need to compare ourselves. It's an addiction. We're on a quest for acceptance and joy, but are paralyzed by the pressure to look, do, and do better than the people around us. Because of this, we are distracted from our purpose, mission, and need to pursue holiness. That is why comparison is so deadly. I am certain that I would not be sharing what I'm about to say were not for the fact that I'm sharing with this point of view. I believe that far too often our comparison is experienced through a person's race and the color of their skin. If we are willing to accept the child's premise that we compare our bodies, our jobs, our families, our skills, our sex, our intellect, then it is disingenuous to argue that a person's race and the color of their skin do not also fall into the mix. This part of the joke, this is part of the brokenness that we all face and that's the point of dealing with the beginning. Turning to the other guy before we pray for ourselves is the male. And this is why I feel that talking about all aspects of the sin of comparison is relevant to Sunday. I know that I need to deal with this precise issue and pray before you for God's forgiveness and help in continuing to overcome the gift of comparison in my life including the role that race and skin color has in my comparison. That was event number two. Event number three was when I read a story by Frank Bourne. Mr. Bourne was an English pastor and writer and theologian who ministered mostly in Australia and New Zealand. He died in 1959 and was one of Ravi Zacharias' favorite authors. The story focused on Jesus' restoration of Peter in John 21, 16 to 22. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my own. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my feet. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my feet. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, this is to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And Peter saw him and asked, Lord, what about him? 
Jesus only said, if you want him to remain alive, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? He must follow me. And what a story. It is the most momentous and memorable day of Peter's career. It is a day on which his great wrong is going to be put right. He has three times denied his Lord, and to his delight, have been given the opportunity of three times confessing. You know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. In response to his people's confession, Jesus in essence calls Peter, You're back, and I love you. No hard feelings about that whole denying you thing, just following you. You would have thought Peter would have either gone away by himself to ponder the greatness of the grace that he had just experienced, or just would have said something to Jesus, Let go, I'm your God. But at that moment, Peter caught sight of John and asked Jesus about his plans for John. So just to be clear, just to be clear, Jesus has just told him that Peter, you're going to love me, lead for me, and feel the greatest courage for me by dying for me. And at that precise moment, Peter asked about John. Are, are, are you kidding me? Uh, Jesus had to have rolled his eyes and put some thoughts. Peter, will you ever stop comparing yourself to everybody else? Instead, Jesus simply said, for my territory, Mind your own business and follow me. At the most critical moment of Peter's life, he is measuring his words and value based on what Jesus thought of John. And the mission, Jesus would follow Peter. That was event number two. Peter is a perfect example of how strong the compulsion to compare is in our lives. Comparing comparison causes us to look somewhere other than Jesus to determine our value and worth. Happiness. We do it all the time, but as I do, let's look at the cost we pay for not minding our own business. As we go through the list, there is obviously no right line between these costs, and these costs are not mutually exclusive in any way. I'm just trying to put some words to the feelings that we often allow to loiter around in our lives. As I mentioned earlier, the character forces us to see. The world through the lens of better than or worse than. If you look at someone and determine you're better than or superior to them, then you first cross this pride. Pastor Andy Stanley says pride means we're living in, in a land of error. A land of error is when we just don't need to have something, we need to have more error than someone else. I'm good as long as I am thin error than you, rich error than you. Happier than you, better than you, smarter than you, prettier than you, healthier than you, and yet holier than you. This process dehumanizes and diminishes the other person. If you think any of this has been going on over the past generation, Luke tells us the story of a Pharisee, a religious guy, who went to the temple and prayed. God, thank you that I, that I am not like other men, robbers, evil Jews, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The Pharisees determined that as long as he was better than the others, and he thought that made him worthy and respectable in God's eyes. Jesus rejected the idea by saying it was a tax collector who had a humble prayer of repentance 
they went unjustified. Jesus said, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When you think about it, pride is completely opposite of the faith we profess. Pride only wants glory for itself and sees others in comparison as threats to that glory. I heard this question asked once. If I did nothing to deserve my salvation, if I was dead, lost, on my way to hell, if I was completely unworthy of contributing nothing to my salvation except sin, and yet Jesus blessed me and saved me, how can I boast of anything other than Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? Here's the question. The truth is that unless we ruthlessly pursue humility by keeping our eyes on Jesus, Pride will always hijack comparison, and pride cannot help Jesse fewer the pride cannot help Jesse either. One last thing about pride. Thinking is based on being better than someone, it is fleeting, constantly requiring that we reevaluate our comparison and ensure that we are still better and still better. It's exhausting. Another cause of, of comparison is that it leads to jealousy or resentment. You know, I've heard the argument that Peter may have resented John a little bit. Uh, the rationale is really tongue in cheek, but Peter does feel right. First John spoke in the third person, right? The disciple that Jesus loved. And if anyone speaks in the third person, they're really annoyed. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, second John made a big deal about the race between he and Peter to the empty tomb, making it clear that John won. And thirdly, John kind of portrays Peter as a goose. So, um, let me just say that if I were Peter, okay, I might feel a little resentment towards the goose, John. Jealousy says that I wish I had it. Resentment says I wish they didn't have it. Comparison leads us to resent or sometimes struggle with God's goodness in the life of the other person while at the same time ignoring or minimizing these blessings in our life. This doesn't mean that we actually say these words to ourselves, but it means that when the other person's name is mentioned, that we might recoil a bit. Or it means that we have to take a deep breath before interacting with the person, or, or if we have a chance to avoid the person we do. We have a plaque on our person that says, Happiness is not in what you have. In Jesus, we have everything we need, and yet we think we get preoccupied with what others have or preoccupied with what we think others have. We get a crazy to the time. Happens all the time. Are we seeing? Another cause of comparison is insecurity. Insecurity arises because we are trying to find an external whim to satisfy an internal desire. Peter needed to know what he was worth compared to John. Peter's joy from being restored by Jesus lasted about three seconds. And then he saw John and his insecurity was back. And that's kind of sad when you think about it, right? Three seconds in the midst of the ministry of his career. Constant affirmation is required. And since we can never have constant affirmation outside of the love of Jesus Christ, Insecurity is constant and Jesus is true. Jesus tells us to mind our own business and follow him. He knows that we never win when we compare our inner self to someone's outer life. 
or set aside set in a slightly different way. You never win when you compare your real life to someone else's social media life. The last topic of the I want to mention is that it is the gospel. Looking at the conjunction with the Christ. So the best example I have of this is our dog Tim. When I take her for a walk or for a run in the mountains or any place where she can be off leash, she comes back really tired. This is not the result of the route that we have taken, but from zigzagging from one side of the road or trail to the other side. And Tim is everything that that does not really concern her. Every side trail, every bird, every lizard, every sound, every puff of wind, every fresh new scent, she's off. The truth is that Tina never minds her own business. That's in fact, comparison is that way as well. We zigzag all over the place, going to places we need not go. Jesus walks in a straight path, according to Proverbs 3, 6, and Matthew 1, 3. So if we simply mind our own business and follow Him, we will be a lot less weary at the end of the day. We've gone over some of the costs of comparison. Now let's look at some spirits. I recognize that giving the Spirit from someone who has already admitted that he struggles with comparison makes it a little hollow, but I ask you to go with me on this, knowing that I'm a work in progress. The wonderful news for me is that I can report much improvement in this area in the recent past. I'm not perfect by any means, but much improvement. First, we need to recognize the role comparison plays in our lives, decide that it is wrong, call it a sin, and just set our brokenness aside. Prayer is always necessary. And everything that I talk about. Comparison is subtle because it, it, it starts inside us and no one can see. It kind of seems like a victimless crime. Yet it is anything but victimless. We pay a terrible price for yielding to this temptation and eventually fade you those around us. As I shared, it took three months to get me to begin comparing uh, comparison on a serious basis rather than just accepting it as part of my life. It does not need to be this way. And Jesus does not want it to be this way. Jesus rebukes Peter pretty good, and I believe that same rebuke applies to us. He wants us to mind our own business and follow him. Secondly, I don't want to be simplistic, so let's get stopped. Jesus telling Peter to mind your own business is the same thing as no mind can correct it. Sometimes we must decide not to ponder it or justify it or excuse it or ignore it. We just have to make up our minds and stop. I can't tell you how many times over the last couple of months I've said to myself, mind your own business and follow Jesus in any respect. I've been praying that the Lord would open my eyes when I start to compare so that I can take this side step. Mind your own business, guys, and follow Jesus. Third, obviously it is hard to Replace the habit, or to, to stop a habit, not replacing it with something else. Jesus rec- recognizes this and reports Peter to follow me. It is helpful to realize that amongst Jesus' first words to his disciples in John 1 43 were follow me. And his last words to his disciples in John 21 were follow me. To follow Jesus daily and become more like him is the universal calling of his people. To follow Jesus is to keep our eyes. Jesus, Jesus 12, 1-3 is one of my favorite verses. 
or Jesus himself. Uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with, perseverance, run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and run the race marked out for us for the gift and joy that God has given to us. We are not to run someone else's race. Or said another way, we need to stay in our own lane. We take our eyes off Jesus, we're going to veer out of our lane, cause havoc all around us, and not finish the race that God set out for us to run. C.S. Lewis describes following Jesus in this way. There must be a real giving up of the self. We must throw it away blindly, so to speak. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Leave your life and you will save it. Submit to death. Death is your ambitions and favorite wishes every day. And death is your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Just for yourself, you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. And look for Jesus Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else can run. I know that some of you will hear this and be thinking, I get what you're saying, but I am really hurting. I've been through some real tragedy, and it sounds like you're offering me a band-aid for a bullet. Gratitude is not the cure all for my suffering right now. If that is you, please hear me. No one wants to minimize your pain and what you've been through. We want to walk through the dark valley with you and follow you and Jesus in the battle. Part of Jesus being enough is to rely on those around you to help you, to be with you, and to love you. Jesus knows what it means to suffer. Jesus and voice are simply saying as you give a Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you are struggling, please contact us. If you have questions about following Jesus, please let us know. We would love to talk to you. Fourth, seek your, your, your unique calling. Jesus had just described Peter's specific journey when he got distracted. We each have a special way that God has called us to glorify Him. This calling may change over time, and you may have several areas where God is calling you to serve Him. One of my favorite movies is Curious of Fire. Famous Eric Little is a guy serving Scotsman. He's deciding between running in the 1924 Olympics and going to China as a missionary. In the movie, he is talking to his sister, and he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. Little ended up running in the Olympics and winning the gold medal, and then he proceeded to serve in China as a missionary for a number of years. 
to find great contentment and joy in both. Our challenge is to find God's special calling for us. I believe we are called to do exactly what God has designed us to do in the exact time and way He has called us to do it. That means we are one of a kind. So when you think about it, it makes no sense to compare one unique, unique, one of a kind calling to anybody else's unique, one of a kind calling. This is a mystery. There is great contentment and purpose in following God's lead. Contentment derived by accepting God's love and purpose in our life is the great antidote to the human comparison. Now hold on a minute. Some of you now have instantly jumped to comparison. You are thinking, I'm not really good at anything. I don't have much to offer. If only I was like him or her, then God would really use me. Will you reverted back to insecurity, jealousy, and resentment? This happens to all of us, but this is a result from our blessing. The way we continually talk about our own inability is to be many folks who are creative. We complain over our incompetence if we accuse God falsely of having overlooked us. Robert Mundy provided a helpful clarification to this point. He said that once we put our faith in Jesus and become more and more like Him, we are unlike anyone God has ever created. So not just the future, but God's representative in the classroom of what it looks like when Jesus teaches to that Pythagorean spirit. That's why I wasn't an athlete. You're not just a student, you're God's representative at your elementary school, middle school, high school, or university, so they can see what Jesus looks like when he studies all your kids at the class. You're not just a nurse, you're God's representative in the medical field, and what it looks like when Jesus cares for someone who is hurting. You're not just a barista, you're God's representative at Starbucks, but the coffee world to know what it looks like when Jesus serves a grand, triple, caramel macchiato, light rich with almond milk. You're not just a stay-at-home mom, you're God's representative in your home, for your kids to see how Jesus will never stop loving them, be patient with them, will always be faithful to them, will never give up on them, and will always be there for band-aids and straight knees and wipe away tears. a lot of words this morning, and we've all heard even more words this week. Words are necessary, so my hope for this morning is to give us something concrete to consider as we face the need for renewal in our country. That's just in our own hearts. The sin of comparison is antithetical to our faith. Regardless of the criteria we use to determine if we are better than or worse than any other person. Before George Floyd, including race and sin called as part of our criteria, would never have a choice in that. It's one of the legacies of Mr. Floyd's life and death is that we cannot now avoid the inclusion of race and sin called in our conversation, and that is something to be grateful for. The even greater legacy of Mr. Floyd's life and death will be to actually do something about it. 
The beauty of Jesus and the words of Peter is that the person who minds their own business always finds their course perfectly clear. What is that to you? You must follow me, said our Savior. You must follow me. Could anything be more exquisitely simple? Could any direction be more delightfully explicit? It might become the direct relationship between Jesus and me. It is wonderful how plain that path appears. Let me pray this way. Father, we are humbled by you. We are humbled by your majesty. We are humbled by your love, your concern, and your compassion. Father, we need you. Our family needs you. Our country needs you. Our world needs you. And this is it. The love and concern that you show to all of us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we have the ability to meet together and share you with your news. Help us to walk in that and everything that we do in each day of your life. Thank you.